So today marks a shift, and the shift is that we are going to now shift out of the biography section of Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to move into the book of Acts. And so this is our final book also in season chapter one. And last Sunday, we talked about abiding in Christ, John 15, that, you know, he is the vine dresser, we're the branches, and sometimes in order for us to grow in Christ and to grow to be more like Christ, he needs to remove some branches. And even things in our lives that bear fruit, he needs to prune so that they don't turn inward, that they can continue to grow in the direction that God intends. And so that's where he left off. And if you think about it, God removing branches and God pruning branches is taking away. It is creating space. And this morning we want to move to where, what, God, what does God then do with the space that he creates in our lives? If he removes something or he prunes something so that it can you know, grow and bear more fruit, what does he do with that particular space? And I want you to know that the author of the book of Acts is Luke. And he also wrote one of the biographies of Jesus called the book of Luke, original. He named it after himself. So you have the book of Luke and then you have the book of Acts. But how many of you have ever been to a play at a high school or the NAC? Can I see your hands, please? There is usually act one and then there's an intermission and then there's act two. They are not two different plays. They are one play that are meant to be viewed in its entire context. They are just in two different Acts. Well, the book of Acts is simply a continuation of the book of Luke. So the book of Luke and the book of Acts are not designed to be read separately. They are designed to be read one after the other. Two acts of the continuing story. And so act number one is what we're about to move into at Christmas. It is Jesus coming down to live with his people. And act two, which is the book of Acts, is the Holy Spirit, listen to the difference, act one, the book of Luke, Jesus comes down, and he lives with his people. Act two, God comes down in the person of the Holy Spirit and does not live with his people, but dwells in his people, okay? I love how Megan Marshman says, if you look at the biography of Jesus and you connect it with Acts, you're going to find a paradox that the initial thing Jesus tells his disciples is, he says to them, I'm gonna be with you always. And then you turn the page and he says, I'm leaving. <laughs> like, like, I'm out of here, I'm going to heaven, right? I'm gonna be with you always. See you later. But Jesus is God. And he sends the Spirit who is God. We're going to do some Trinity work this morning. Turn the person beside you and say, oh, yay. <laughs> so while Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5 says, while staying with them, he ordered them. Everyone say he ordered them. He didn't ask them. He didn't suggest to them. If your God only asks or suggests things to you, it's not the God of Scripture. God sometimes commands and sometimes he orders because this is the language of a king. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Everyone say to wait. For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. So the promise of the Father, which you heard from me, Jesus, Father, Son, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Promise of the Father, 
you heard from me, Jesus, baptize you in the Holy Spirit. A question we have to ask, though, is what is up with God and waiting? What is up with God and waiting? Like, my timetable and God's timetable seldom jive. In the waiting, what is God doing? Well, God's idea of waiting is not meant for you and I. It's not, it's not a load to carry. It's a gift to receive. But waiting doesn't often feel like a gift. In fact, it feels like the denial of a gift, or it feels like punishment, like you're getting put in a timeout. But it isn't. This isn't God's heart, nor is his perspective. The book of Acts is the account of lives genuinely making a Jesus-sized difference. But to live Jesus-sized different making lives, we must wait for the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about the disciples at this precise moment. They had the teachings, they had the miracles, they had the bloodstained cross and the empty tomb. They had all of those things, but they did not yet have the Holy Spirit. Yet they had all of these things, but they did not have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to them, all of these things are finished works. They are good works. But wait, because it's not just about the finished work. You need to be filled with a power, with a spirit, the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with something that is different than just you. It can't just be a head knowledge. It's got to be something transformed. He says, wait for me in my early 20s, living genuinely a mediocre life. Everything changed. Everything changed when I finally surrendered and allowed the Holy Spirit to take up more space, to fill my life and heart, to live in, live with, and live from the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me repeat it. Everything in my life changed. Now, it's not been perfect since then, and it won't be perfect moving forward, but I now have dwelling on the inside of me a perfect Holy Spirit. And it's contested space. Because here is what I've learned from my 20s to my 50s. Everywhere the Holy Spirit seeks to fill, something else is in the way. Everywhere that the Holy Spirit desires to fill, oftentimes something else can be in the way. Self can be in the way. The flesh can be in the way. If you only have a relationship with God that is all about removal, you need to learn about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is when God removes something from us, he desires to fill that with more of himself. Turn to the person beside you and say, you leak. <laughs> you leak. Why do I have to be filled again and again and again? Because you leak. Life knocks the life out of us. We leak. We get spent. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, let me ask this question. Has anyone here ever gone on a road trip? Okay, let me go this before I do this. How many of you at one point in your life, you were a child? Can I see your hands, please? <laughs> it's always people who are like, I'm not raising my hand. And then what the heck were you? Were you? I'll tell you what I was. I was someone who didn't play along and I'm not playing along now. Okay, fine. Okay, so has anyone here as a child or with kids ever gone on a road trip? Can I see your hands, please? What's the single defining question that kids ask if the road trip is long? Yeah. Which, by the way, is the wrong question. Like, from the parent's perspective, that's the wrong question. Like, we just spent hundreds or a thousand dollars to go on this trip to take you here. It is all about where it is that we are going, and what you can see is just where you are. So you're asking the wrong question. Like when Lori and I took our kids to Florida one time, that's a long drive. Like it bankrupted us to take them there. Did it really? Yes. Not bankrupted us, but whatever our savings were, when the time we left Disney, they were at zero. (laughs) Every single ride ends in a gift shop. Demonic. That's what that is, okay? That's Satan at work. <laughs> really, some of you are like, don't you dare talk about Disney and Satan. No, no, that's demonic. That's satanic. So the person said, he's just kidding right now. He's not calling. Here we go. Okay. So the singular question they ask, yeah, is, is why is this journey taking so long? And I get it, I get it, I get it. Well, often in seasons of waiting, we are prone to ask God the wrong questions. And this is precisely what the disciples do with Jesus. And I want you to watch this because it's so important. Acts chapter one, verses six to eight, he's just told them to wait in Jerusalem. And now he says, so when they had come together, they asked him, so when the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Will you kick all these Romans out? Will you fix all the problems that we can see? And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons the father is fixed by his own authority. But he says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Ottawa and Cornwall and Canada to the ends of the earth. What Jesus is doing here was designed to get us to here. But the question they have is, hey, when are you gonna fix all this? And God says to them, essentially, Jesus says to them, that's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. You are looking for me to do something, but I am now about to do something in you, and you are actually the one that I'm gonna send to fix all this. Jesus has been with us, and 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 and now he's about to say, I will never leave you, but I'm going to leave so that I can send the Holy Spirit, and so everything that you see, I am not just with you, I am in you, and now there is a work that I am calling you to do. There are acts that I am calling you to do in my name and who I am, that you need to have me living on the inside of you for all of these things. And at this moment, the kingdom of Israel is not fully restored, but Jesus gives them a plan for what is about to happen. And what is about to happen is entirely different than their focus. Again, their focus is here, and Jesus is essentially saying, they are asking him, like, why is this taking so long? Why is this trip so long? Are we there yet? And Jesus says, actually, wrong question. 
It is not are we there yet, it is who is about to be with you that is what this is all about. He redirects their focus. The person of the Holy Spirit will fill you with power. Everybody say power. And by the way, the Holy Spirit redefines everything that we misunderstand about power today. Jesus asks them to wait. Jesus asking them to wait wasn't to frustrate them. It was to fill them with a different power so that they could actually make a difference in the world, just like Jesus. You cannot change something if you are the identical substance of that which you desire to change. You need to be filled with and by and dwell in someone different. If you are full of hate, then all you will create is hate. You cannot change something if you are the same substance of that thing. And Jesus knows this. In the waiting, there is work to be done. And Jesus was, here's a little bit of theology for you theology nerds. Jesus was with them, and now the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in them. 50 days following the Passover was Pentecost, which is an agricultural Jewish holiday. But this Pentecost is going to be like un like unlike any other. From the first Passover in Exodus, it was 50 days until Moses gave the law, which was a different way for them to live in the world compared to those around them. So in essence, when you look at the scriptures and you see that God the Father and you see God the Son and you see God the Holy Spirit as God the Father initiates the plan of salvation and God the Son accomplishes salvation and God the Spirit applies or sanctifies his salvation. God the Father is never sent in scripture and God the Son is sent by the Father in scripture, but God the Spirit is sent by both God the Father and God the Son in Scripture. How many have ever heard one God, three persons? It gets a bit confusing because it's like, so are we talking about people? No. When we say God, one God in three persons, all we're saying is interpersonal. One God, but they relate differently. There's interpersonal. And by the way, it took us as a church about 200 years to figure out how to explain the Trinity. Turn the person beside you and say, that's a long time. (laughs) That is a long time. Which is why sometimes the temptation for you and I to go on social media in 35 seconds and explain something with depth and complexity is a trap. Took the church 200 years to figure out the language, not what was happening, but how do we explain it? And we actually explained it a lot wrong all throughout the years. We had to correct it and correct it and correct it. Took a little bit of time to understand what I just rambled off in about 15 seconds. And so in 50 days since the cross and resurrection, and now the Holy Spirit arrives to empower the 120 in the upper room to live and to be difference makers in the world caught in sameness. And now we arrive at the gift or the present, if you will. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. Everyone say, all together. They were all together in one place. Men and women and young and mature and faithful and betrayers. Men and women and young and mature and faithful, like Mary who stays at the cross and betrayers like Peter who cursed the name of Jesus and said, I never knew you, three times. They're all together in one place. If you think the church has not always been with imperfect people among it, read thy Bible. (laughs) Look around, just look around the room. Those of you online, look around the chat room or look into your camera and imagine other people on the other side of it, turn the person beside you and say these words to them with full affection and love. This place was pretty good till you showed up. (laughs) 
right? Like we had a good thing going on. And then you showed up with all your questions and your opinions. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So you got to ask the question, why were they all together in one place? Because they were obedient doing what Jesus told them to do. Ooh, that's a good one. How do we as a church walk in unity with one another? By being obedient to do what Jesus told us to do. I want to do what I want to do. You want to do what you want to do. That's going to create disunity. But if we all do what Jesus has called and created us to do, we'll be all together in one place. Not the same story, but we're together in one place. And suddenly, everyone say suddenly. Which I think is a bit Luke writes hyperbolic. Because they've just been waiting for a while. When God answers prayer, it feels like a suddenly, it feels instantaneous, but oftentimes it's preceded by long seasons of waiting, yes? And all of a sudden it's like, has God here ever promised anyone anything and then you had to wait? And then all of a sudden you don't have to wait, you find yourself in it and it feels really quick. Okay, has anyone here ever prayed and asked God for something and then God gave it to you and the immediate thing you felt was overwhelmed? <laughs> like, take it away, take it away, take it away. If you can do the life that you are doing in Christ right now, just in your own strength, there is deeper waters that God is inviting you into. In fact, when God usually engages us, it is perfectly designed and fit for us, but the number one thing you will feel is overwhelmed. So much so that you will need to lean and and rest on a strength that is not just yours. Like if the Lord asks something specific of you, like I want you to go tell that coworker, I want you to go share the gospel with them. And the first thing you feel is like, I'm a little bit like, they're really smart and I lack smarts. That's you. Lean on a strength that is greater than you. Have you ever had a dollar in your hand and a dream of what you wanted to do with that dollar? And God says, I want you to give that to them. And then are they going to give me more dollars? (laughs) Like, I'm totally good if that's the end of it, right? Like, anytime that Lori and I feel an attack on our finances, a spiritual attack, you know what we do? We increase our giving because we find that the enemy cannot attack that which we don't have. (laughs) Does that fix everything? But you know what it does? It makes us reliant again on a power that is different than ours. Because I sometimes sing, Jaira, you are enough. But I believe, Jaira, I am enough. And sometimes I got to get back on the edge of faith. And suddenly, there came from heaven. From where? heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house 
where they were sitting, and divided tongues of of fire appeared to them and on each one of them. Sometimes I often wonder, like, what if our theology around men and women came from Acts chapter 2 and not Timothy? And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled, not just the men, with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pause, what did Jesus say to them? What starts in Jerusalem will go to Judea, Samaria, and then eventually one day to Ottawa and like Cornwall. That's what he said, to the ends of the earth, and we're in in part of the ends of the earth. And so they wait, and then they're all filled. It says, now there were in Jerusalem, in Acts 2 verse 5, there were in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Think about that. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So what God is doing in a room with 120 people is going to spill out, and his heart now is every nation under heaven. This is what God is now doing in the story. First, Jesus is sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Does not exclude them. He's a covenant-keeping God. But now it's going to, we are as Gentiles, going to be grafted into their tree. And God fills and they speak with other tongues, which is God performing in equal parts enunciated miracle and an auditory miracle simultaneously. They speak, but each hears about the mighty works of God in their own language. It is a Tower of Babel ultimate reversal moment where God, when God moves corporately, we see in Acts chapter 2. And some, when God moves, asks, what does this mean? And other people mock where God is at work. Can I say in the world today where God moves corporately, some people ask, what does this mean? And other people mock where God is at work. May you be one who asks, what does this mean when God moves corporately? When God moves in the world, may you have a tender heart to ask, God, what are you up to? What is it work? May you not be filled with so cynicism and criticism that your initial response to God moving, even if it is different, is mockery or criticism. May you have a humble heart to be able to say, I know maybe not all of this is God at work, but God, where are you at work? How many of you know that when Almighty God somehow shows up in a place that some Sometimes some odd things happen. And I'm not saying I want to go seek out the weird or seek out the odd. All I know is wherever you have the genuine, you will have the counterfeit. And I want to be a one who has a heart that says, God, where are you at work here? Not just where it blows my box, you can't be at work here. That is pride. God, where are you at work here? What are you doing? Now let's get to the unlikely character and the profound gift. And now let's get to the place of the heart. Fifty days prior to this day, there's a gentleman by the name of Peter. And Peter believes that he knows who he is based on self-definition more than who Jesus says he is. 
It's not a new problem. It's actually the defining problem in 2023. It is a defining problem in 2023. I am self-defined. I am not who God says that I am. In fact, many of your issues are self-defined versus knowing who you are in Christ. And God is good. (laughs) And sometimes he needs to remove some branches and prune some things, but other times he needs to fill us to live by the power of the spirit and not by the power of self or by the power of the flesh. And so here's Peter in 50 days. Everyone say 50 days. Like that's not a long time, you know. 50 days. He has denied, he has cursed, and he's abandoned Jesus. He has said publicly, like, I'll never leave you. All these other 11, they they may, not me. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're going to do it. You're going to leave me, not just once, you're going to do it three times. And he doesn't listen. And then he experiences the reality that Jesus isn't just speaking a truth, he is speaking truth. See, when it comes to faith, sometimes you've got to fail before you can flourish. What is the most profound lesson that Peter learns in denying Jesus? I'm not as strong as I think I am. And some of us, when we learn that lesson, I'm not as strong as I think I am, we are tempted then in our own strength to make ourselves stronger than we are reject that thinking, reject that action, and reject that belief system. No, when you discover in life, and if you haven't yet, you will. Where and when you discover you're not as strong as you think you are, that is the place where you need to let God remove some branches, prune some things, and fill you with a different spirit, a different source than you trying to be strong in your own strength. Jesus rises from the dead. Turn the person beside you and say, oh, that little thing. I just said it so like, right? Just like, oh, Jesus rises from the dead. And the women, which we get to every single Easter, the women believe, but the men don't. And they're like, nah, didn't happen. But Peter runs to the tomb. And I want you to think about Peter right now, and I want you to think about you. And the Bible says that when Peter, for the third time, denies Jesus, and the rooster crows, like Jesus said it would, It says he weeps bitterly. Here's the question. What if that is never healed in Peter? And what if now for the rest of his life, what if he lives from a place, if God, I'm gonna prove to you that I will never do that again. It may appear strong, but it's the wrong spirit. It's the wrong spirit. Some of you every day wake up with this abiding feeling that you are not enough. And then you set about your day to prove that you are enough. That is the wrong game to play. 
Others of you get up every day and it was driven into you since you were a little boy or a little girl that you must be perfect. And so every single day you drive out, you wake up with a driver that says, be perfect. And I need you to know that's the wrong game to play. Some of you get up every single day and all you know is, I gotta do more, I gotta do more, I gotta do more, I gotta do more, I gotta do more. And I want you to know that that can kill your soul. And so Peter meets Jesus. And I don't know if Peter wanted to, he did because he runs, but I think it's awkward. Like, you said I would do this. I didn't believe you. This is what I did. And there you are. And Peter has wept bitterly. And Jesus says to him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus does not say, see what you did, see what you did, see what you did. What does Jesus know? That if Peter's motivation for ministry is not a love for Jesus, if where bitterness now dwells, love is not replaced, then he can go on to have a ministry, but he's ministering out of the wrong spirit. The journey of the Christian life, brothers and sisters, is allowing God to course correct our wrong spirits. To heal bitterness and woundedness so that we can live from a different power. Self-hatred for Peter cannot be the motivation of his ministry. Proving to Jesus how strong he is cannot be the motive of his ministry or he, has, or he is the exact same substance of the culture that he is called to be different from. And so Jesus comes and says, no, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That a love for me, of accepting me, of trusting me, of letting me move where you have seen that you are not strong enough, my love love is more than strong, and I want to fill that with a different spirit. You'll have the same personality, Peter. You'll make some of the same mistakes, but you will be empowered. You will be filled from living from a different spirit. Do you trust me? And standing with the 11, 50 days after this, Peter, I'm sure the other 120 were present, he quotes from the prophet Joel, the most unlikely one who should have stood up in this moment stands up. Now, after being restored by Jesus, bitterness removed, filled with the love of God, but also now filled with the Holy Spirit, the same one who couldn't stand before one accusation earlier now stands. And some of you say, well, it was, it was a politically hot time here. When Jesus rose from the dead, the pressure didn't go down, it went up. Peter's going to lose his life. He's going to be a martyr for Christ. Fifty days earlier, he can't stand one accusation by someone of real no social significance. Now he stands up in Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit, in front of everyone. What difference can being filled with the Holy Spirit make? Everything. 
can change everything about your life. You have been living one way and now you live in a completely other way. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone say all flesh. That means you, your sons and your daughters. Once again, your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men are gonna see visions and your old men are gonna dream dreams and even on my male servants and female servants. Once again, I wish our theology came from the book of Acts, not the book of Timothy. But every male and servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy and it shall come to pass that everyone, everyone say everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The power of the Spirit falls and everyone is for everyone and can reach anyone. Don't believe me, Peter repeats it in his sermon. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and it's for your children and for all those who are far off. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls God to himself. Whereas we sing now, and your children, and your children, and your children. It goes on forever, that song. May his feather be upon you for a thousand generations, and your your children, and your children. I like the song. Don't understand me. It's just just a lot of children's in the song. It's like, and your children, and your children. Okay, we're going again. I like it. But I love it. In the sense that what God does in you is not just for you. It is for other generations. He is the God of Abraham, he's the God of Isaac, and he's the God of Jacob. It's not just for you, it's for other generations. So we as a church never just look to one generation because the Holy Spirit doesn't just look to one generation. He doesn't just move in one generation. He is for all generations. So what is up with God and us waiting? God uses waiting to prepare us to receive power, often to live out his purpose in our lives. And as we wrap up, I want you to see, because Luke and Acts are Act 1 and Act 2, as I mentioned, I want you to see the central, the central question shouldn't be what Peter looks like full of the Holy Spirit. I think it should be what Jesus looks like full of the Holy Spirit. And here's what it says in Luke 4, verses 1 and then 14. It says, Jesus, full of the Spirit. Everyone say, full of the Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Everyone say, led by the Spirit. So underline those if you have a Bible, that being full of the Holy Spirit is being led by the Spirit. Yes? And then verse 4, in the wilderness, and then Jesus returned, it says, in the power of the Spirit. To Galilee. And a report about him went through the surrounding country. Being full of the Holy Spirit is evidenced by a life willing to be led by the Spirit. A life led by the Spirit lives by the power of the Spirit as opposed to the power of the flesh or any other inferior power. The 120 are now full of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit now begins to lead them. And here's what I want you to see. Where's the first place the Holy Spirit, after they are filled with the Spirit, where's the first place that the 120 are led? By the Spirit. To those who don't know Christ. 
Yes? Not inward. What happens inward shoves them now outward. Being led by the Spirit now sets them on the most incredible adventure of their lives. In the waiting, God often clarifies which power we are full of being led by and living in. And the book of Acts shows us that there is only one Holy Spirit. But if you keep reading the book of Acts, you know what else you'll discover? There's plenty of other stuff that desires to form and shape your story. There's not just a Holy Spirit. There's lots of spirit in the world. Spirits in the world. Lots of flesh, lots of stuff that wants to form and shape us. And so today we want to pray with you. And I want to just end here. Some of you will speak in tongues. Shundai, Hyundai, Toyota, Suzuki, Kia. That's a joke. I just said Asian car company names. Some of you will speak in tongues. What a gift. Some of you won't. Even though we pray and even though we believe it's for everyone, some don't speak in tongues. If that's you, remain open to Christ. Remain open to the gift throughout the entirety of your life, but hear me with both ears and your whole heart. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you, and there are no deficient followers of Jesus. So whether you speak in tongues or not, like Jesus, be led be full of, be led by, and, to li and live from the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us. An initial time, and for some of us, fill us again. And where there is competition between what we are full of and where you desire to fill, Lord, may we trust you to remove, to empty, so that you can fill us with yourself. Lord, help us not live boring, average, mediocre lives, but surrendered lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the story that you started in Jesus, imperfectly, but through the power of the Spirit, continue in us. Amen.